Chapter One of American Men of Action. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. American Men of Action by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter One A Talk About Biography. No doubt most of you think biography dull reading. You would much rather sit down with a good story. But have you ever thought what a story is? It is nothing but a bit of make-believe biography. Let us see, in the first place, just what biography means. It is formed from two Greek words, bios, meaning life, and graphene, meaning to write, life writing. In other words, a biography is a story of the life of some individual. Now, what the novelist does is to write the biographies of the people of his story, not usually from the cradle to the grave, but for that crucial period of their careers which marked some great success or failure, and he tries to make them so lifelike and natural that we will half believe they are real people, and that the things he tells about really happened. Sometimes, to accomplish this, he even takes the place of one of his own characters, and tells the story in the first person, as Dickens does in David Copperfield. That is called autobiography, which is merely a third Greek word, autos, meaning self, added to the others. An automobile, for instance, is a self-moving vehicle. So autobiography is the biography of oneself. The great aim of the novelist is, by any means within his power, to make his tale seem true, and the truer it is, the truer to human nature and the facts of life, the greater is his triumph. Now, why is it that everyone likes to read these make-believe biographies? Because we are all interested in what other people are doing and thinking, and because a good story tells in an entertaining way about lifelike people, into whom the storyteller has breathed something of his own personality. Then, how does it come that so few of us care to read the biographies of real people, which ought to be all the more interesting because they are true instead of make-believe? Well, in the first place, because most of us have never tried to read biography in the right way, and so think it tiresome and uninteresting. Haven't you, more than once, made up your mind that you wouldn't like a thing, just from the look of it, without ever having tasted it? You know the old proverb, one man's food is another man's poison. It isn't a true proverb, indeed few proverbs are true, because we are all built alike and no man's food will poison any other man, although the other man may think so, and may really show all the symptoms of poisoning just because he has made up his mind to. Most of you approach biography in that way. You look through the book and you see it isn't divided up into dialogue as a story is, and there are no illustrations only pictures of crabbed-looking people, and so you decide that you are not going to like it, and consequently you don't like it, no matter how likable it is. It isn't wholly your fault that you have acquired this feeling. Strangely enough, most biographies give no such impression of reality as good fiction does. John Ridd, for instance, is more alive for most of us than Thomas Jefferson. The one is a flesh-and-blood personality, while the other is merely a name. This is because the average biographer apparently does not comprehend that his first duty is to make his subject seem alive, or lacks the art to do it, and so produces merely a lay figure, draped with the clothing of the period. 
and usually he misses the point and fails miserably because he concerns himself with the mere doing of deeds and not with that greatest of all things the development of character all great biographies are written with insight and imagination as well as with truth that is the biographer tries in the first place to find out not only what his subject did but what he thought he tries to realize him thoroughly and then reconstructing the scenes through which he moved interprets him for us he endeavors to give us the rounded impression of a human being of a man who really walked and talked and loved and hated so that we may feel that we knew him but most biographies are seemingly written about statues on pedestals and not good statues at that i am hoping to see the rise some day of a new school of biography which will not hesitate to discard the inessential which will disdain to glorify its subject whose first duty it will be to strip away the falsehoods of tradition and to show us the real man not hiding his imperfections and yet giving them no more prominence than they really bore in his life which will realize that to the man nothing was of importance except the growth of his spirit and that to us nothing else concerning him is of any moment which will show him to us illumined as it were from within and which will count any other sort of life history as vain and worthless what we need is biography by x-ray and not by tallow candle until that time comes dear reader you surely must supply the x-ray of insight if you can learn to do that you will find history and biography the most interesting of studies biography is of course the basis of all history since history is merely the record of man's failures and successes and read thus it is a wonderful and inspiring thing for the successes to overtop the failures the good so outweighs the bad by the touchstone of imagination even badly written biography may be colored and vitalized try it try to see the man you are reading about as an actual human being make him come out of the pages of the book and stand before you give him a personality watch for his humors his mistakes his failings be sure he had them however exalted he may have been they will help to make him human the spectacle of washington riding forward in a towering rage at the battle of monmouth has done more to make him real for us than any other incident in his life so the picture that franklin gives us of his landing at philadelphia and walking up market street in the early morning a loaf of bread under either arm brings him right home to us though this simple kindly and humorous philosopher is one of the realest figures on the pages of history we love andrew jackson for his irascible wrong-headedness farragut for his burst of wrath in mobile harbor lincoln for his homely wisdom i have said that read as the record of man's failures and successes history is an inspiring thing perhaps of the history of no country is this so true as of that of ours by far the larger part of our great men have started at the very bottom of the ladder, in poverty and obscurity, and have fought their way up round by round against all the forces of society. Nowhere else have inherited wealth and inherited position counted for so little as in America. Again, we have had no wars of greed or ambition, unless the war with Mexico could be so called. We have at least had no tyrants. Instead, we have witnessed a spectacle unique in history, of a great general winning his country's freedom, and then disbanding his army and retiring to his farm. 
the Cincinnatus of the West, Byron called him, and John Richard Green adds, no nobler figure ever stood in the forefront of a nation's life. He has emerged from the mists of tradition, from the sanctimonious wrappings in which the early biographers disguised him, has softened and broadened into the most human of men, and has won our love as well as our veneration. George Washington was the founder. Beside his name, two others stand out, serene and dominant, Christopher Columbus the discoverer, Abraham Lincoln the preserver. And yet neither Columbus nor Washington nor Lincoln was what we call a genius. A genius, that is, in the sense in which Shakespeare or Napoleon or Galileo was a genius. But they combined in singular degree those three characteristics without which no man may be truly great, sincerity and courage and singleness of purpose. It is not without a certain awe that we contemplate these men, men like ourselves, let us always remember, but in many ways how different, not different in that they were infallible or above temptation, not different in that they never made mistakes, but different in that each of them possessed an inward vision of the true and the eternal, while most of us grope blindly amid the false and trivial. What was vision was, and with what high faith and complete devotion they followed it, we shall see in the story of their lives. This is the basic difference between great men and little ones. The little ones are concerned solely with today. The great ones think only of the future. They have gained that largeness of vision and of understanding which perceives the pettiness of everyday affairs and which disregards them for greater things. They live in the world, indeed, but in a world modified and colored by the divine ferment within them. There are some who claim that America has never produced a genius of the first order, or at most but two. However, that may be, she has produced, as has no other country, men with great hearts and seeing eyes and devoted souls who have spent themselves for their country and their race. One hears sometimes a grumbler complaining of the defects of a republic. Yet certainly, in these United States, the republican form of government, established with no little fear and uncertainty by the fathers, has, with all its defects, received triumphant vindication. Nowhere more triumphant than in the men it has produced. The story of whose lives is the story of its history. There are two kinds of greatness, greatness of deed and greatness of thought. The first kind is shown in the lives of such men as Columbus and Washington and Farragut, who translated thought into action and who did great things. The second kind is the greatness of authors and artists and scientists who write great books or paint great pictures or make great discoveries. And this sort of greatness will be considered in a future volume, for all there has been room for in this one is a story of the lives of America's great men of action and even of them only a sketch in broad outline has been possible in space so limited but this little book is merely a guide-post as it were pointing toward the road leading to the city where these great men dwell the city of american biography it is a city peopled with heroes there are travis and crockett and bowie who held the alamo until they were slain there is craven who stepped aside that his pilot might escape from his sinking ship there is Lawrence, whose last words are still ringing down the years. There is Nathan Hale, immortalized by his lofty bearing beneath the scaffold. 
there is robert gould shaw who led a forlorn hope at the head of a despised race even to name them is to review those great events in american history which bring proud tears to the eyes of every lover of his country of all this we shall tell as simply as may be giving the story of our country's history and development in terms of its great men so far as possible the text has been kept free of dates because great men are of all time and compared with the deeds themselves their dates are of minor importance but a summary at the end of each chapter gives for purposes of convenient reference the principal dates in the lives of the men whose achievements are considered in it in the preparation of these thumbnail sketches the present writer makes no pretense of original investigation he has taken his material wherever he could find it making sure only that it was accurate and his sole purpose has been to give in as few words as possible a correct impression of the man and what he did from the facts as given however he has drawn his own conclusions with some of which no doubt many people will disagree but he has tried to paint the men truly in a few strokes as they appeared to him without seeking to conceal their weaknesses but at the same time without magnifying them remembering always that they were men subject to mistakes and errors to be honored for such true vision as they possessed remarkable many of them for heroism and high devotion and worthy a lasting place in the grateful memory of their country the passage of years has a way of diminishing the statue of men thought great and often of increasing that of men thought little few american statesmen for example loom as large today as they appear to their contemporaries looking back at them we perceive that for the most part they wasted their days in fighting windmills or in doing things which had afterwards to be undone only through the vista of the years do we get a true perspective just as only from a distance can we see which peaks of the mountain range loom highest but even the mist of years cannot dim essential heroism and nobility of achievement indeed it enhances them the voyage of columbus seems to us a far greater thing than his contemporaries thought it washington is for us a more venerable figure than he was for the newborn union and lincoln is just coming into his own as a leader among men every boy and girl ought to try to gain as true and clear an idea as possible of their country's history and of the men who made that history it is a pleasant study and grows more and more fascinating as one proceeds with it the great pleasure in reading is to understand every word and so to catch the writer's thought completely knowledge always gives pleasure in just that way by a wider understanding indeed that is the principal aim of education to enable the individual to get the most out of life by broadening his horizon so that he sees more and understands more than he could do if he remained ignorant and since you are an american you will need especially to understand your country you will be quite unable to grasp the meaning of the references to her story which are made every day in conversation in newspapers in books and magazines unless you know that story and you will also be unable properly to fulfill your duties as a citizen of this republic unless you know it for the earliest years and more especially for the story of the deadly struggle between french and english for the possession of the continent the books to read above all others are those of francis parkman 
he has clothed history with romantic fascination and no one who has not read him can have any adequate idea of the glowing and lifelike way in which those frenchmen and spaniards and englishmen work out their destinies in his pages the story of columbus and of the early explorers will be found in john fisk's discovery of america a book written simply and interestingly but without parkman's insight and wizardry of style which indeed no other american historian can equal a little book by charles f lummis called the spanish pioneers also gives a vivid picture of those early explorers the story of john smith and william bradford and peter stuyvesant and william penn will also be found in fisk's histories dealing with virginia and new england and the dutch and quaker colonies almost any boy or girl will find interesting for they are written with care in simple language and not without an engaging humor there are so many biographies of washington that it is difficult to choose among them perhaps the most interesting are those by woodrow wilson horace e scudder paul leicester ford and henry cabot lodge all well written and with an effort to give a true impression of the man of the other presidents no better biographies exist than those in the american statesman series where of course the lives of the principal statesmen are also to be found not all of them nor perhaps even most of them are worth reading by the average boy or girl there is no special reason why the life of any man should be studied in detail after he has ceased to be a factor in history of the presidents washington jefferson jackson and lincoln are still vital to the life of today and of the statesmen there are few like franklin hamilton webster calhoun and clay whose influence is still felt in our national life but the remainder are negligible except that you must of course be familiar in a broad way with their characters and achievements to understand your country's story history is the best place to learn the stories of the pioneers soldiers and sailors archer butler hulbert has a little book pilots of the republic which tells about some of the pioneers john fisk wrote a short story of the war of independence which will tell you all you need to know about the soldiers of the revolution with the exception of washington and you can learn about the battles of the civil war from any good history of the united states there is a series called great commanders series which tells a story in detail of the lives of american commanders on land and sea but there is no reason why you should read any of them with the exception of lee farragut and possibly grant though you will find the lives of taylor and stonewall jackson interesting in themselves for the sailors with the exception of farragut barnes's yankee ships and yankee sailors will suffice though every boy will enjoy reading maclay's history of the american navy where the story of our great sea fights is told better than it has ever been told before these books may be found in almost any public library and on the shelves there too you will probably find elbert hubbard's little journeys which give flashlight portraits of statesmen and soldiers and many other people vivid and interesting but sometimes distorted as flashlights have a way of being Perhaps the librarian will permit you to look over the shelves where the biographies and works dealing with American history are kept. Don't be overawed by the number of volumes, because there are scores and scores which are of no importance to you. Theodore Parker had a wrong idea about reading. For once upon a time, he undertook to read all the books in the library, beginning at the first one and proceeding along shelf after shelf. 
He never finished the task, of course, because he found out, after a while, that there are many books which are not worth reading, and many more which are of value only to specialists in certain departments of knowledge. No man can know it all, but every man should know one thing well, and have a general knowledge of the rest. For instance, none but an astronomer need know the mathematics of the science, but all of us should know the principal facts concerning the universe and the solar system and it is a pleasure to us to recognize the different constellations as we gaze up at the heavens on a cloudless night. None but a lawyer need spend his time reading law books, but most of us want to know the broad principles upon which justice is administered. No one but an economist need bother with the abstract theories of political economy, but if we are to be good citizens, we must have a knowledge of its foundations so that we may weigh intelligently the solutions of public problems which different parties offer. So, if you are permitted to look along the shelves of the public library, you will have no concern with the great majority of the books you see there. But here and there, one will catch your eye, which interests you, and these are the ones for you to read. You have no idea how the habit of right reading will grow upon you, and what a delightful and valuable habit it will prove to be. Like any other good habit, it takes pains at first to establish, an effort of will and self-control, but that very effort helps in the forming of character, and the habit of right reading is perhaps the best and most far-reaching in its effects that any boy or girl can form. I hope that this little volume and the other books which I have mentioned will help you to form it. End of chapter 1 Recording by William Tomko